If you are the one that likes running for fun, the one for you, the caffeine bullet chew. You want to run faster or PB your ride? It's easy for you with caffeine bullet chew. So much caffeine in one mint chew. The one for you, the caffeine bullet chew. If you want to run faster, win a race or two. Get a PB this season with caffeine bullet chew. With caffeine bullet chew. If you still haven't tried Caffeine Bullet, get 25% off now at caffeinebullet.com using code FYB. They're bad, they're boys, and occasionally they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. How you doing? I'm all right, David Hellard. How are you? I'm I'm all right, JD Race. Well, I am oh, all no, right. Go on. I'm all right in terms of energy, but I have a further injury update. Oh. So, uh, for those who have somehow managed to track the last 20 episodes that have all gone in different orders i think the last time he left me i only had one leg um (laughs) and now i've discovered that actually it's not a stress fracture or a um a hairline fracture it's actually a bruised bone you heard of that um i don't know uh what that is uh, but i don't understand how you can be i don't know if that is, is that a downgrade or an upgrade uh, but how can how can people be so wrong? Didn't you get a X-ray or something? So I had an MRI scan, and the the doctor did a quick check without me going in because I I basically texted him and said, "Please can you tell me?" And he said, "It looks like it's a hairline fracture," but I don't think he actually had a full look at the scan. He just had a quick peek. <laughs> Where is who is this doctor? <laughs> what, what the fuck? Well, because it, it wasn't, it was. I wasn't having a proper session. He was just had a quick look in, and he, and he said, "I suspected it." <laughs> just, what? So then, when I had my follow up, which was a month or five weeks later, um, glories of the NHS. Then it, um, it, there became apparent when he looked at it in further detail that actually I'd had a bruised bone. And from what I can tell, from what he'd said, basically, because the tendons in the area the adductor had been stressed and overstretched and under weak and blah 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 overworked it's meant that the the bone around that area has been kind of rubbing together but also has been almost wearing itself out and so if you look at it the bone density is really low which is why it hurts whenever i do anything so i can't can't run at all i can't cycle at all and um annoyingly when i kind of gave him this look of uh okay so when when will i be back the answer is let's wait and see never never well that's that's i just like yesterday i just did a a boris bike across town that was probably two miles and my leg really hurts now from that so i can't even do like a did yeah you said to me before that you can't do any exercise no. Apart, from, apart from swimming and even then you're not allowed to kick your legs 
Well, swimming, swimming, I'm not going to, well, I'm, I'm just not going to swim. I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't got the time in the day or the, the effort or the cash to burn to go to a swimming pool and swim. I can't think of anything more depressive. So I've yeah, got I know, some... I know what you mean. Yeah, as you know. As you know. So, so I've been given Pilates. I've been told to do Pilates, but then half the exercises hurt my legs. So I can't really... <laughs> Who told you to do that? Some sadist. Yeah, oh. just do Pilates. Do karate or something. That'll be fine with a bruised bone. <laughs> yeah, do I don't understand. How can you bruise your bone? It, I think that's what they call it without... Okay. So it's one of those things where it actually doesn't bear any relation to what it's actually called. Yeah, I, I mean, I I assume so. So, yeah, annoyingly, it's looking like it's going to be the first the first London I haven't done in, I don't know how long, let's say 11 years. Can I have your place? Years. Can I have your place? Well, potentially, there's there's a place up for it. You've, you've just got to page 314, which, as we know, in the bag, in the bag... <laughs> But how are you? I mean, things outside of that are good. How, how about yourself? Oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> oh, that is the voice of positivity. <laughs> oh, yeah, fine. I'm still alive, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> it's all about gratitude. It's gratitude. It's good, isn't it? Good. You know, the weather's nice. So everything's good. Um, I've got a funny story. <clears throat> funny story from the running show. Okay. Um, uh, and it involves you. Uh, I don't, actually, I can't even remember whether I've told this before. I might have told it before. If I have, then I apologise, Nick, delete it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I was walking around the running show, and uh, I don't know what I might have told this story, but if I have, then <laughs> sorry, I don't know. It's better that we tell stories twice, just in case you don't do. Is it the one that I told you about Craig from uh, Cliff Bar? I'm not sure if, if, he's, if you said no. Okay, so we walk around the running show towards the end. It's the only chance I had to walk around. I was walking around with Lorna. And we went to um, up to the Cliff Bar uh, uh, stand because I was a bit hungry. So I thought, oh, yeah, perfect, free free food there. Uh, and Craig was there. And Craig started talking to me. Uh, he's going, oh, yeah, I'm thinking of doing, like, ultras and stuff like that. You know, be interested to hear what you're thinking, that kind of stuff. And then he just turns and goes, I don't suppose I saw you in the gym in London Road in Brighton. And I was like... Oh yeah, yeah, that, that probably was me because that was uh, oh yeah, that's the that's my that's my local gym. He goes, it's funny because I asked David and I said, is it likely I just went to Brighton? And David was like, oh, absolutely not. There's no way Jody would be in the gym. There's no, that's that that almost near impossibility that that was him. There's no way that he would be in the gym. And I'm like, it's interesting. It's interesting he was so adamant. Well, I, I mean, I, I knew you had a period of doing your little hit classes at home. But I thought you'd be too busy swimming and cycling outdoors <laughs> to, to find time for the gym. I love this. That you were so convinced and confident that you persuaded him that there's absolutely no way that I would possibly be in a gym, which is less than like 500 metres from where I work, wherever my office is. Is, is, someone, could... is someone angling for, for cliff sponsorship? Well, well, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's interesting that uh, to hear from a third party source how confident you are that because I just I, I don't think you believe that I do anything. I don't think anyone <laughs> believes that I do anything. I think everyone thinks I just I, I literally in the last year I've lied about doing any exercise whatsoever. Well, can you blame them? But why? But, but why? But why would you? Why would you think that? Um, your performances. Well, my performance. Well, 
how do you know even know what my performances are? Exactly, because you haven't even got any. Well, but that doesn't mean that I'm not running or I'm not doing any exercise. So if a Jody runs in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, <laughs> well, <laughs> I won't it ever be, run? I won't, I won't be running in the woods if it's raining, so it's, a, it's not likely. <laughs> and... Um, it's just it's the it's the vehemence that when he just said he goes he's just said to me goes David said no there's just no way no this I just it just can't can't possibly be right it couldn't have been him I thought you were an outdoor running purist that's why that's what it was I'm an outdoor running purist yeah because the weather is is suitable yeah that's fair enough considering considering in the UK very rarely is it suitable. (laughs) Now I've I've got some news for you, some some big do badder news in many ways. Um, one of them, very good news. Richard Marks is releasing a new album. I've seen. Uh, do you know what? I, he his uh, Twitter activity level has increased substantially <laughs> recently, which would go hand in hand with that because he is popping up on my my Twitter feed quite regularly. There you go. And uh, do badders, if you, if you don't know what this is referring to. I mean, this was probably episode 10. (laughs) Episode 10, we taught Richard Marks how to play poker. Um, And Howard Marks, by coincidence. (laughs) Uh, So if you see see Richard around, or if he messages you on Twitter, ask him about his poker game and, you know, whether he's he's improved since Bad Boy has come into their life. Uh, (laughs) He didn't know what you were talking about then. He doesn't know what you're talking about now. That's the great thing. I'm hoping he's written a song about it. You gotta hold the chips, like Bad Boy says. You gotta put the chips. Wait a minute, we got another song. We got another song. Down. Uh, I've got a question for you, which is that this is just reminding me. How are you getting on with getting uh, Newton Faulkner at your wedding? Oh, well. Yeah, what's the latest in the, in that situation? So, actually, I I emailed his agent two days ago. So it started with, um, we've booked a guy called Sam, who's learning Newton Faulkner songs. Yep. And Newton said he was, you know, they wouldn't want to let us down. And so they can't commit to anything where they then might have to shift to the last minute. So I emailed back saying, oh, that's fine. We've booked someone in case you can't make it. So we're going to assume, you know, hope for the best. And, and if you can't make it, this person's going to play the drinks instead. So at the moment, it's not a no. <laughs> and um, kind of every few weeks or so, I kind of send them an update in a very positive, quite, um, well, you know what my emails are like. Yes, yeah. Slightly full of energy. Hey, <laughs> is it this funny? Don't, no, like no, no, no isn't an answer. No, isn't. You can't possibly entertain the word no. Exactly. So I'm, I'm moving forward with the plans with uh, CCing in his agent, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> and at some point, I'm hoping they either just, you know, when, have you ever been in a situation where you've, you've never, you, you're sure you've, you've not said yes to something and yet you're suddenly on stage or you're suddenly all like... All the time, David, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, how did this happen? I'm sure... Why? Why is someone handing me this mic? Or why? I don't think. I don't think that happens to you. I don't think you ever say no to anything. <laughs> so I don't think. I don't. When does that ever happen? Yeah, it's, it's me. True. It's me. I'm just like I. I don't really understand why why I'm here or why I'm doing this or why I'm at the running show or. 
<laughs> exactly. So I've just I've got this 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 optimism that he's it's just going to come through and uh, that on the day he's going to make an appearance. Well, I'm basically making it as easy as possible for him to come along. I've told him. In fact, I can't say what I've told him because it reveals secrets of the wedding. But he's he's. I've also offered him the opportunity to to be a, a guest judge on the no talent contest that we're having during the evening. <laughs> <of> the- <laughs> wow, you've loaded up the benefits there, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. Which I just I just love the idea of him being there, and every person who does it, he's just like zero. <laughs> You're rubbish. <laughs> just to every person. I mean, I, that would make me very happy. Um, so that that's uh, that's. I'd, I'd give it a 95% chance of happening. Um, <laughs> now, other news that I've, I've found quite perplexing. So we obviously love Dean Carnassus. Oh, yeah. And um, he is at the show. It's great, great being there. He's been, he's been on the episode before. Now, weirdly, have you, have you seen anything from him recently? Or have you been contacted by... That non like affiliated companies. No. So he's now sponsoring um, a race series. Right. Pow- it says powered by Dean Carnassus, um, and it's called the King Buddha Run series, which is essentially a run series sponsored by CBD products. Hey. related products. I mean, to be fair, what a combination. <laughs> yeah. yeah. CBD products and running. That's yeah. like LSC doing an ultra. It it's is. like that kind of relaxed. It's it, yeah, exactly. Whenever you whenever you take the product you run as as quickly as LSC. Uh, <laughs> but um yeah, I just find it really quite weird because Maybe, I mean, maybe I've got I've, I've got it all wrong about about CBD, and actually, I've, I've got a friend called Trent who um, who does have a CBD brand, and uh, but I I just wouldn't have thought it's the type of thing that Dean would be into. But then I guess he's into his all natural, isn't he? So maybe he is. But it's yeah. it's it's not a tie-in that I thought I would suddenly come out of the woodwork and. No. Yeah, so he gives a quote, CBD helps me train harder, recover quicker, and sleep better. These things are important for athletes of all ages and abilities. So I don't know whether he's, you know, is, is this, he's kind of branding it? And always, do you think this is something he's deeply passionate about? That actually, you know, he's sought out, he's sought out having used the products and being a, you know, an adamant fan. So um, it's difficult yeah. to, it's difficult to know, is it? Because I know for years and years that, um, Mo Farah was a secret corn eater, but he couldn't reveal it. Um, and he used Mr. Muscle as well, but he didn't. He didn't want to reveal it. And then, uh, fortunately, those brands came along, and you know he could come out as as huge fans of corn and Mr. Muscle uh, just at the right time. So yeah. possibly it's the, it's the same situation. It was it was just at the point that Mo Farah's bank balance was in, in trouble of going below thirty million dollars. <laughs> then he thought, uh oh. Uh oh. Okay. Uh, yeah. So a really interesting tie in that one. One I just hadn't expected to see. Um, yeah. And and actually, potentially something that I mean, what do you think, about it? Is, do you want us to get Dean back on and to talk about it? Because if there is a you know if, if if there is a strong correlation between recovery and CBD, and I know that CBD has an issue in its marketing in that it it 
it can't um I don't think can... you can't market it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And 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 also there I don't think there's been enough medical studies to to be able to substantiate his claims strongly enough to be able to then say um well, statistics. This, that, to me that sounds like a perfect running product then. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> Considering some of the stuff that people sell. So yeah, so um do you want us to get him on do bad to talk about it and because i'd i'd love to talk to him about it partly from just the understanding of cbd but also really to just ask him quite frankly like how involved in this are you <laughs> <laughs> like, you know it's... involved every night i don't yeah. know why i did a like <laughs> <laughs> it's just incredibly prejudicial it is it is but um but there seems to be seems to be a lot going on at the moment so uh, in fact i've got some it's just we always say do bellas what do you think and we never have a chance to follow up really on what you then say you think partly because I'm, I'm not in the facebook group enough but if you ever fe- follow back on feedback on things we've discussed tag me in it so i can see it in the facebook group but i did like one post following our interview with rob the uh, former deputy general director of oh, such a good interview that was like well it was brilliant i really enjoyed that one oh him followed by girl i mean two incredible guests back to back um but scott dutton posted in the group following on for the doping episode if you had a magic wand i'm paraphrasing and you could find out truthfully about one athlete whether they were or weren't doing drugs who would it be i think that's a great question it's a great question because yeah. it's true, isn't it? Because like, there'll be, I mean, the thing is that there's, there's two parts to that question. One, who would you like to find out? But also, who would you hate to find out? Was Because was, you, you'd want to, I think this is yeah. you know, something you alluded to before. Who would that, crush you? Yeah, absolutely. If you, it's like when, you know, meeting your heroes, uh, you turn, they turn out to be a massive dick. Like the runners and the athletes that you really respect, and it turns out that they're, they're dopers. Uh, yeah, that would be awful. So we've got some of it. I mean, he he said his would be would be Daley Thompson, which oh, that would that would hurt to find out that he was. So someone's mentioned Flojo. I think it's fairly commonly accepted. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't. Yeah, we've had allegedly. We've, allegedly, um, obviously, people said the same. Bolt, Lee Smith said that. We've had even Drago. <laughs> don't know that reference to man it's no um paula ratcliffe um yeah i I mean i think allegedly yeah i mean i mean i'm not i've I've no idea about paula actually but um but then people like linford christie mo farah seb co um but even even people like uh djokovic in the tennis uh, nadal there's so many athletes who but i i think for me actually I'd want to know if I could magic wand. Like, who would yours be? I think magic wand. I'd want to know all the marathon runners, um, all the marathon runners for the last world record attempts. You know, anyone who's won a London last ten years back. I'd include Paula in that, and um, I think I'd want to know about all the teams Sky. What is the and Ineos? You know, what's the full extent of that? And then all of ah oh, the the well, Greeks. The I agree with you. The, the Team Sky, I'd agree with you because I'm assuming they are, and I would find, and I'd be interested to see if they weren't. Because yeah. I come at it from the other, the other perspective. And it's um, almost, it's like the same, I'd say the same with Mo. If you know, I, I, uh, I have 
I, I, I firmly believe that he microdoses. I think Team Sky, I firmly believe Team Sky do. But I'd love to know to what extent. And even even like knowing the German swimmers, the Chinese swimmers of, of years of old, like how much did they pump in? Yeah. That would be incredible. Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. Well, that would be, yeah, that would be heartbreaking actually, just because yeah. he's a Christian. As I, won't, well. won't run, I won't do it on a Sunday, but I'm absolutely like bursting with EPO. <laughs> And and yeah and and actually if 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 someone like him was doing it you'd be like fair enough just everyone's doing it then everyone I think I think the Daily Thompson one's great because considering our like our age and the childhood and and how and how few Olympic athletes we had who were successful mm-hmm. when we were younger it's those ones that that are held up to to it for us I mean now there are so you know we're we're good at sports now uh, and so there's lot you know there's there's plenty so you know even if half of them are doping half of them might not be so you know but when you literally had one medal hope for the whole of the olympics mm. and it turns out that even they didn't get that medal properly yeah. that, that e- even with the americans not there we still had <laughs> one medal hope. It's, it's what we can't we can't even succeed in the commonwealth games like <laughs> this this is why we should be stoking russian chinese and american politics because the the more of those countries that then um don't go to the olympics we we've got a chance then of getting more medals but um <laughs> but yeah, That's the, the way we do it. <laughs> yeah we just we just were at the um, un security council just like pushing people's labels over and uh but yeah do better who who else would you want because from from what rob says there's almost no one that is is above well because even like the the Kenyans, you know, 60 Kenyans, I think, have been banned in the last kind of five years or so, five, ten years. I mean, that's a huge number. So, yeah, there's almost no one that you that there isn't a chance that there, you know, you don't there could be a chance. Um, yeah. So, Wait, Tom, do you know what? I, I don't know. Do any other podcast talk about doping as much as we do? I, uh, we've, I think we've become slightly obsessed with it. We talk about CBD. We talk about doping. It's about putting we talk a lot about putting stuff in your body. I didn't mean it to sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. But that's, I mean, that we actually, we, we probably should... we're going to have a cheating podcast. That's why we're going to come because my, my move to having to do some cycling at some point, which means that I'm invariably going to start taking drugs of some kind because it's just part of the culture. This is, this is it. It's the slippery slope. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I welcome the day that, <laughs> A bald, spotty-backed Jody, <laughs> <laughs> raging, <laughs> raging. It's uh, it's smashing it around. <laughs> um, but we should. Um, oh, so um, much to look forward to. <laughs> but actually, it kind of another another feedback for what are the do batters. I'm not going to say any details because I, I don't think that's fair, and I don't think they'd want it uh, especially. But talking about cheating, one one thing that was brought up that i think was really interesting point is where do you draw the line uh, cheating and, and i think this is actually covered by rules um but they're not aware of it but they were saying essentially they had some they've had some pretty bad injuries and so for them they can't really compete they can't really train they can't really race ultras unless they're taking i can't remember what the injections were but 
injections that are banned, but I think you know are you know perfectly acceptable in terms of medicine and also i think actually i wouldn't be banned if you had the equivalent of a doctor's certificate to show that you needed it to but yeah his his view was you know is there a is there a a line which we feel not even a line because i don't think it's to do with ability or talent but to do with the reason behind it and you know if, if this person is having to take these drugs to be able to actually just just train and do ultra running but they could potentially still be beating lots of people are we happy with that i mean i am i think if you're if you're placing and you're you're stealing money or, or things like that off others by taking the podium and and other things then probably not not right but just to be able to run and just to be able to to, to do the sport I, I think that's perfectly acceptable so what how would that work though so if you were taking something it would be you'd have to declare it in some way so that it would prevent you from being able to podium how, yeah. how would that work yeah i guess i guess so i think i think that's fair um and well i mean i, I we probably need, we probably should have asked rob this because I, I think under the rules it's probably acceptable that you can get there's certainly some injections you can have um even testosterone creams and things like that depending on what the issue is um i guess the the question is when it goes from being um medicinal to performance enhancing and i I, that's probably that's where you draw the line i guess um you know is it just to get you to the start or is it to get you further down the field um up in the placings yeah but the can we be bothered to talk about the nike trainer seems that you know the ruling (laughs) every podcast is talking about it all the news i mean i don't think there's anything we can say that's new is there it's just just recap in case anyone hasn't listened i.e me (laughs) yeah i mean the the crux of it is they've said that they're going to limit the the depth of foam that you can have in a shoe to i believe 40 millimeters and you're only only going to be allowed to have one plate so to a certain extent it's not changed the current system like the current shoes it's, it's limiting potentially shoes in the future doesn't actually change anything about the uh the the availability of of shoes and the disparity between them uh the one thing they've they've said which i thought was a rule already is that any shoe used now has to be um readily available for for sale for four months before its use so the uh the next percent for example um they and, and and actually this this is the thing that the rules the probably the only comment i'd have on it that wasn't said in a lot of places is actually it all comes down to not necessarily what the rule is but how it's interpreted and yeah. um i know that cftb has has messaged before saying that nike do sell and he's had friends who've bought trainers from uh from websites that are clearly the equivalent of the next percent but they're not marketed as that and oh, so oh yeah yeah i think you showed me one of those actually yeah, yeah i remember and that, that and that's the thing you know, it's the it's, it's the in the how you apply the rules that actually is important and if it if it means that nike are going to be releasing one pair of trainers every month 
on a random website called the Nike Don't Buy These. Does that then mean that they adhere to that rule or does it have to be in wide release? And if it is in, in wide release, then they can do that and just make it 10 grand a pair of trainers. Why is everyone so dodgy? I mean, it's just everyone is so dodgy. Like, it's that. Was it always like this? It feels like it. It feels like it's just coming to like a head. Like, it really does. Well, I think what's changed probably about the last 10 years or so in society is now the idea of a hack and like beating the system seems to be a lot more accepted yeah like, but like but yeah but the other way around like brands big brands yeah like, yeah that's the thing I think the it's, always, it's always acceptable like you go yeah i somehow managed to get these pair of shoes you know through through doing this or whatever but big brands going ha, go on buy it from there you twats <laughs> <laughs> because the thing is there will be someone that finds them. They're going to be found out. You, how it's hard not to get found out about stuff now. Yet they still do it. But that. But the thing is that, that it's, it's not that they're breaking the rules. They're actually following the rules. And and that's the thing. If Nike do put out, not and, in the and, spirit though. It's not in the spirit. Yeah. And it, it might be that they have clarified to it. They to have to. And the, I mean, the whole thing is a lot of them are supposed to stand for the spirit of you know, like Nike's entire yeah. brand is built on the fucking spirit of of the sport. And then they're doing this. I mean, like you absolute twats. Yeah, yeah, abs- and uh, well, it's it, it seems to be the world we live in these well, that's days. Our Nike, that's our Nike sponsorship gone. Yeah, but um, kind of just to t- I guess finish this off before we go into our next um, into the guest. We mentioned about Boston on the last episode, hopefully, and how they've changed some of the application process and the the amount of money needed to raise for charity. Interestingly enough, they've actually changed the men and a women's uh, women's elite times now so that the men actually start first, which is quite interesting. So the, 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 the issue was previously that the the time differences between the men and the women was was so was getting so large that the elite men were catching up and running through the elite women, which then was causing trouble as the tv crews and you know various other crowds came through and so they're now putting the women behind the men which is it'll be interesting to see if it works because their their justification for it which hopefully is is true and and will work is that actually if the women start behind the men it means once the men have finished they can then focus purely on the women's race and be able to film that and and actually dedicate more time to the elite women the worry is that you're suddenly going to have all these other non-elite men who are going to be running your 220s your 225s and whether that means they're going to be crowded out even more could potentially be the the issue um it does also mean i think that the elite men start separately from the rest of the men by such a difference that um you're not you're never going to be able to run from the non-elite pen now and uh do a hellard but also potentially <laughs> potentially win it which i think is always a shame because i think a race yeah. should always be winnable by anyone there um, yeah. even if that doesn't you know that's never going to happen just the possibility of it i think it's it's just nice to have that so yeah um changes changes all around 
But how are we going to segue this? I'm trying to remember who we've got next. Well, um, if you going from, 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 from yeah from starting a race with having a disadvantage, from starting a race to having a very big fridge. <laughs> oh, it's not a fridge, <laughs> is it? Almost a fridge. It's, it's almost it's, a fridge. It's like oh, I've got the wrong appliance. Wrong white goods. White good appliance. All you need to know. So, the next guest. It's a lot of fun. You're going to love it, and he's a wonderful guy. Take it away, Nick. So, do that is we've got quite a few episodes in the next few months. So, we're going to start to look more towards kind of marathons in theme, um, just because of the time of year. I know a lot of you have, in the group in particular, have been mentioning about the difficulty of raising money. So, I wanted to get well. In fact, I, I met Ben firstly to do with Ultimate Hell Week. He was on the second season and did you know incredibly well. And then the next time, in fact, the last time I saw him, he had a, a tumble drive strapped to his back and was running the London Marathon and uh, raised, I think, almost 10 grand doing that. I, I wanted to get him on then, then completely forgot until someone reminded me from the group about three months ago since he's done another amazing feat, um, which he'll explain about. So I wanted to get him on to really to explain both those things. So welcome on the podcast, the epic Ben Blows. Hey. Hey. Hey, good mate how are you yeah i'm good i'm very well tell us um there's I mean, so much there's so much in that introduction that you, we can kick off with so ultimate hell week uh, are your yeah. press ups better than david's <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I don't think i've ever met anybody who aren't <laughs> Yeah, I take that. Yeah, I mean, what was your experience of that? I I loved it. I loved every second of like the selection, and I loved every second of being out there up until about the last I don't know half a day, where something shifted in my mindset, and I just suddenly realised I didn't want to be there anymore. You know, once you make that decision, it was like I'm got you know something's going to happen here, and I'm going to go home. And I was basically. I'd basically had enough of the instructor we had and he didn't like me and I didn't like him and that's how it was. And in the end, I told him in no uncertain terms what he could do with his uh, with his rice that he wanted me to separate. And oh, yeah, that was the rice, wasn't it? I don't it was the now. rice, yeah, it was the rice. God, what, is, what even was that challenge? It was a pile of uncooked rice, white <laughs> rice and brown rice. And he wanted us to separate it with chopsticks. <laughs> That, that, that was my breaking point. Really. Oh, I don't, I think that would be a lot of people's breaking point, to be honest. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, other than that, you know, I loved it. And I loved, <laughs> loved the whole experience. I loved the people who I'd done it with. Um, you know, even even the guys, you know, like yourself, who I got to meet through from Series 1. Because, to me, all you lot on Series 1, and I knew, and I, knew Luce, I know Lee Steggles, all of you guys, I'd watched them. I'd watched them episodes so many times in preparation of going in. <laughs> it was like when I first met you, and or I became Facebook friends with you. I was like, wow, I'm friends with David Hellard. Ooh, what, yeah. what, did, what did you What did you learn from his experience? Exactly? <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to know what the takeaways are from, from that. Yeah, well, clearly not a takeaway to do with rice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, it was it was fantastic, and you know, I would do it again in a heartbeat. But obviously, I can't. But you know. That's that. It's, they said to me at the time that it's going to be like a big, a life-changing experience for you. And when they sort of told me this, the production team, I didn't really, I didn't really think that at the time. But you know, three years on from it, from being in South Africa, you know, it was a massive thing in my life. And 
a lot has happened to me since then. A lot, a lot of positive stuff, not just to me, but to you know all the other guys who are who are there filming it as well. Because what what do you think? Like, I mean, how did that change the course of your direction as such? Well, you know, I wouldn't have done the tumble dryer run if I if I hadn't have. If it hadn't been for Hell Week, you know, it's the, the sole reason I did the tumble dry run because I lost my temper and flew home and got home on the Saturday. On the Sunday, the London Marathon was on telly, and I'd run the London Marathon every year for the last ten years, but hadn't wasn't doing it that year because I was in South Africa or I was meant to be, but I'd lost yeah. my temper and now I'm sat at home. So I'm sat at home on the Saturday, on the Sunday, watching the London Marathon. I also, it was also the day they was filming the final of Hell Week. So, you know, I knew I should have been there as well. And some guy popped up on the telly on the London Marathon with a tumble dryer on his back. And they said to him, what on earth are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm going for this Guinness record, you know. And they said, what does it weigh? And he said, it has to weigh 25 kilos. Now, my ears instantly pricked up because I thought, well, I've, <laughs> I've had 25 kilos on my back for pretty much about 10 months. You know, I've lived with a 25 kilo Bergen on in training for Hell Week. Um, so I took his race number down and I tracked him on the app and he had to get under six hours and he didn't, he just, he just fell short by a few minutes and literally from that moment on, I was like, right, I'm having that, I'm having that record, you know, and that there and then I'd only been home probably 48 hours and there and then I was, you know, in the garden trying to, trying to fix a race car harness to a fridge it was to start with. But, um, yeah, straight away I was out, I was out training. So, you know, if it hadn't been for hell week, you know, would certainly wouldn't have done the, the tumble dry marathon but i just you know i think in a in a broader term i just i don't know it's brought a lot of, quite a bit of publicity you know people people know me where i am i've switched careers you know 13 months ago 14 months ago i'm now doing a career that i've always dreamed about doing but never really had the balls to 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 go ahead and do and i think you know a lot of that comes off of the back of of the publicity of hell week as well and with them um... I mean, going into that record then, so yeah, was it any kitchen appliance, basically? It was any household kitchen appliance, yeah. So my my theory was a fridge, and I, you know, I, I got a fridge off a friend of mine and um, fixed the harness to it, but it just wasn't sturdy enough. It was, you know, it was all right for a couple of miles, but after a few miles of just that constant moving and bouncing around, it would just start folding on itself. Um, so I had to go to a uh, you know, sort of tried and tested method of a tumble dryer because it's a lot sturdier. So, um, but I still had to make, I still had to fit like a roll bar inside it and, you know, um, make it a little bit sturdier and fix a metal plate to the back, strip it how, out. How much then, is a, a tumble dryer without um, modification? I would say without modification, probably around 30, 30, 40 kilos. I stripped all the drum out and everything else. Um, and it had to weigh 25 kilos. Now they weighed it. They Guinness when you're at the start of the London Marathon. They they put they got me on the scales with the tumble dryer on the tumble dryer on the scales and everything else. And then they they checked it. They said they were going to spot check it on the way round, which they never did. Um, and they checked it again when I finished. So it had to weigh 25 kilos. And I had it. I had it. You know, bang on 25. Not a not a gram more basically. Um, I did. I did pick up some extra weight. I done a, I done the Cambridge half marathon in it. I don't know about a month before London as a training run, and a couple of people put a couple of t-shirts and a and a hoodie in there while I was running, which I didn't realise. So that was, that was nice <laughs> to, 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 add a, to add a bit of extra weight. But, oh, mid race, they were just adding them in. Yeah, I, I didn't know until I, I didn't know until I took it off and I opened it. And I was like, ah, 
Who in the hell's put that in there? Uh, <laughs> it must have been incredibly dry, I imagine, for uh, after a 30-mile tumble dry. Exactly, yeah. It was, it was done. It was all, all dry and ready to go. And when you approached it then, what... Because... Like how how do you actually what did you have to assess in in how you wear it and and how did your training because I know you're you're a very good marathon runner anyway like how how did you adapt that? Well, as I said, I've been running with a Bergen. Um, I've got a few in preparation of getting up to twenty five kilos because I've watched you guys on our week, you know, and see a lot of people struggle with the Bergens. You know, one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to be I'm not going to struggle with the Bergen. So. I, I spent a lot of time, and it's quite hilly round, round where I live. And I spent a lot of, lot of all my running basically consisted of running with weight. And when I started with that, it was a 10 kilo weight vest. And then I brought another weight vest I could add individual weight to. So I'd get building up really gradually, like 15s, and then finally got up to 25 kilos. And then once I'd, once I'd done a couple of months of running with a 25 kilo weight vest, I then physically went running with the tumble dryer. Um, you know, to to actually run with a tumble dryer, but it, it's just it just everything was, you know, a Bergen is a Bergen. It's it's fairly comfortable, and it doesn't move around too much. Whereas the tumble dryer is just so comfortable. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just so big. It's just ridiculous, really. It's weirdly weirdly because it's not made to be carried in that way. Exactly. Yeah, Possibly exactly. that's. <laughs> exactly that. Does the? I've always wondered this about running with a with a Bergen. Like what? Because when, like, anyone that's ever, uh, like, moved into running ultras or anything with with any sort of pack realises just how much it kind of changes your, your running style. Did you have yeah. to, like, change your change your running style completely or was it a case of just adapting it? Because it it's not, it, it's sometimes not the weight, it's just the, the distribution of weight on a Bergen. That yeah, I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're, your stride certainly shortens up. You, you certainly don't stride out when you've got weight on your back. You shorten your stride up, try and keep your feet underneath you a little bit more. Um, and the biggest, the biggest difference is my pace was, you know, I was running literally twice as slow. I, I ran uh, when I ran with a tumble dryer, I ran it in six hours, and it was you know twice as slow as I'd normally run it, pretty much. Um, so yeah, it's it's more of a a shuffle, um, trying to stay upright, trying not to let the the weight get the better of you, you know, and you're leaning over because then that's going to cause all sorts of back issues. You're trying to stay upright and trying to stay strong and trying to keep a lot of the weight around your hips. So like a Bergen, you have the, the hip straps and you pull that one tight. So really, your shoulders haven't got that much weight in on a Bergen. And I was trying to do the same with a tumble drive, but it didn't work. And by the end of it, I was, I was bent over in half, basically shuffling down the mile. It was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't a tumble drive have a breeze block inside it? No, that's a washing machine. Oh, is it right? right. Yeah, a washing machine has a it has a breeze block, I think, to weight it down when it's yeah. doing its crazy spinning thing. And did, did you then strip a, a Bergen to to use the skeleton of for, from that? Or I did you... to start with. I did to start with, but it just wasn't. There was no way of fixing the harness of a Bergen to a tumble dryer securely. You know, you could fix it on there and think, right, that's it. It's solid. Half a mile down the road, because it's tumble dryer constantly bouncing up and down <laughs> it was just tearing off and anything i was trying to do the last thing i wanted to do was you know this thing to fall off behind me and land yeah. on my heel or something i had a race car harness fixed to the inside had some fixing points welded inside and the race car harness fixed to these fixing points like reinforced fixing points and it and it, it was far from comfortable but it was as as comfortable as, as it was ever going to be 
and I, oh. and it was and it was secure, which is the most important thing. And were you, I mean, how fit would you say you were when you went into the, the attempt? Were you doing like a, a normal math and training plan, but your long runs with with a tumble dryer, or were you were you completely changing it? I mean, apart from my pay, I mean, fitness wise, I was I was fine, but I had, I'd done no fast running, so all my running, I, I say I'd done no, I might I might do one midweek run without weight, you know, but all of my long runs, you know, and I, I only got up to 18 miles with the tumble dryer. That was the furthest I ever managed, just be, mostly because of time. You know, it's just like I'm going to do 18 miles on a Sunday morning, which if you're marathon training might take me, I don't know, just over a couple of hours. But and, and where was that? Was that just around town? Around, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. But I had to, um, I either had to have somebody with me or I'd go at two o'clock in the morning because it was just... I was getting too much abuse and type of abuse, yeah. <laughs> just you know, I had a massive beard at the time, um, and if I was an eighteen-year-old, an eighteen-year-old in a car with my mates, and I saw a guy with a huge beard running down the road with a tumble dryer on his back, I would probably stop and ask it's, him exact, exactly it's what. He's doing. It's interesting you pinpoint the beard being the thing that they're shouting. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> it's either the beard or the tumble dryer. I couldn't really decide. <laughs> Um, yeah, I keep shouting because I got a beard. Nothing to do with the tumble dryer on my back. <laughs> and 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 another thing was, that, you know, when you, obviously when you're running on the road, um, the camber of the road was really really painful because of the weight, so it'd start dragging me over. So I'd have to run pretty much down the centre of the road, and you know you can't do that at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. So I'd just go out two o'clock in the morning. I had lights on the tumble dryer on the on the, on the front and back, and white lights on the front, red lights on the back, just a couple of bike lights fixed to it. So. It was, um, yeah, I've got some strange looks and a lot of, I think I confirmed a lot of people's, you know, I think people thought they might have been seeing things in the morning. They thought, <laughs> I just saw a guy running down the road with a tumble dryer on his back. But, oh, yeah, yeah, it was. And I'd be on, like, the, the local radio or something talking about it and people were calling in saying, I thought I'd saw that. I thought I was going crazy. But, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was you know, it was the training runs were tough and I knew, and you know, it's, it's a bit of a joke thing, really, but, it, you know, Running 25 kilos, 20, running 26 miles with 25 kilos on your back isn't a joke. And I, I didn't look at it as a running test. I looked at it a bit more as a strength test because the distance was never going to be an issue. I know I can run 26 miles. Mm. Um, it was, can I, you know, can I physically hold this, carry this weight, this extra weight for those amount, for, for that amount of time? And, and were you, you know, pacing I, for six or were you just trying to get out no, as possible? And then... I, went out, I went out. I think... I'd done the first half in two and a half. Wow. Um, yeah, about 20 minutes ahead of schedule. Met my wife at 13 miles. So I was allowed to take the tumble dryer off. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to travel. So if I took it off, I had to stop where it was and then, you know, put it back on. So I'd stopped. I, that was the first time I took it off. I met my wife just after Tower Bridge and a couple of mates and I took it off and she gave me a change of T-shirt and I changed. I think I changed my shoes. And you know, up until that point, I felt pretty good. And she was just, she just said to me, "Why, why, are you, why are you here? Why are you here already? You know, you're 20 <laughs> minutes ahead of your schedule." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm alright. I'm good. I just want to get as quick as I can, as as far as I can, as quick as I can." Mm. And then, you know, about a mile later, it was just like, "I've seriously, seriously overcooked this." What, what, where does it hit? Is, is that energy, or where's it hitting? It was just, it just felt so heavy. Um, the BBC, as I come over to Tower Bridge, someone from the BBC, like one of their spots, said, oh, do you want to do an interview? Do you want to do an interview? I was like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't want to stop. And then at about 20 miles, as you're going through Docklands, another BBC spot 
came up and said, do you want to do an interview? And I was like, yeah, de- you know, desperately. <laughs> For an hour. Anything. <laughs> and I wasn't really running much by then. It was more just of a, you know, maybe not even a fast-paced walk, more of a slow-paced walk, but I was still moving. And the guy who interviewed me was in a wheelchair, so I had to lean over to talk to him. So, of course, I'm leaning over and I'm resting on my knees and I'm, and I'm leaning down talking to him. And I only stopped for about 30 seconds or so. But I, when I finished, I just looked down and there was just a massive puddle of sweat. Where I, and I'd only been, you know, it's just pouring out. I mean, it was, it was a fairly warm day, but, you know, it was still a, it was still a Sunday in April. Um, and I was just working way, way too hard. And I think that about 21 miles, I was trying to work my splits out. And I realised that I'm not going to do it. You know, and I was just... I've messed this up. I've gone too fast. All I need to do is 15 minute miles. I can't do it, you know. Um, but somehow, I don't know where, about 22 miles, 23 miles, I managed to just get moving again, get that glimmer of hope. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And, you know, all of a sudden you have a couple of good, goodish miles, a couple of good miles, a couple of, a couple of 14, 50s, and you're, and you're back in the game. But, um, yeah, I've just done it five because I had to get under six hours, you see, and mm. I've got five hours, 58 and 50 seconds. Oh. Time to perfection, I would say, maybe. <laughs> and so did you did you get there by car then? Because then, I guess the question no. is, you're then stuck in Trafalgar Square with a tumble yeah, truck. Yeah. So just ditch it in, ditch, <laughs> ditch it in the fucking palace. <laughs> the plat, ours, our, my running club, I used to run for Newmarket Joggers, they had a coach going down, as they do every year. I, you know, I, I asked them beforehand, can I get, will the tumble drive fit in the hold underneath? And they come back and said, yeah, it should definitely fit. You know, so it's the size of a cup, three suitcases. It should fit. OK, so took it down on the coach, which took, took us pretty much straight to the start line. I took my one of my best mates, uh, Richard. He came down with us. Well, he he met me then. He was going to bring it home for me. He said, you know, I'll meet you at the other end. And I asked London Marathon if I could have someone come in to mm. the finish area and help me. Because, you know, all of a sudden. But they said no. And I can understand why. because it's a, It's a secure area. Mm. So I'd finished, and I've still got the tumble dryer on, and then I had to be weighed, and then I had to get verification from Guinness, and they're all there. I knew I'd done it, because I, I went off on my Garmin, but they had to wait for the official times. And then once the times come through, I had to do the photo with the certificate, and I was just thinking, I just need to take this off my off my shoulders now. It's just getting too much. Do you know how much weight you lost in sweat? I don't, no, I don't. Then they, I, took, I took it off, and, I, and they weighed the tumble dryer, and that was all still good. Then I had to put it back on, so I put it back on. Then they'd give me my kit bag so that you know you'll change your clothes. Then they they give you your goodie bag. So I've now got the tumble dryer in one hand, my <laughs> bag of change of clothes in the other, my goodie bag which is full of bottles of water and Lucas Aid and everything else. And I'm just literally shuffling up the mail. And as I'm shuffling up, there's I've seen a skip and there was an aeroplane sticking out of the skip. Some guy running with a skip. <laughs> no, no, it was just a skip. It was just a skip. But there was an aeroplane sticking out of it, like a. Uh, model you know someone I'd seen this guy running with this aeroplane earlier and you know I just had this like right I'm getting rid of it now so I just literally reversed up to the skip rested it on the side and unclipped and just let it fall back into the skip gave it a little pat and said you know thanks you've been amazing but this is where we part company I'm you know and I was so relieved to get rid of it but I wish I'd have kept it I wish I still had it and um Probably, <laughs> is this an appeal? I'd probably, I'd <laughs> if you probably, know, if you've seen a tumble dryer, I'd probably with it occasionally oh. if I did still have it. But because I haven't, and I know how long it took me to set it all up, it's um, <laughs> it will never happen again. That's for sure. And and in, when you're running, like getting to the start line, getting in the right pen, 
and actually running with big, big crowds. I mean, how yeah. is that? It's okay for me. You know, I'd imagine it's worse for people behind me. Mm. I'm not going to move. Whatever happens, I cannot move. I haven't got that range of movement. So, like, you know, curbs and stuff. You can't go up and down curbs with weight on your back. You've got to just stay in a straight line. Mm. And a couple of times I'd say to people, I would shout and say, look, I'm coming through, I'm coming through. And they'd sort of look around as if to say, you know, what's your problem? And then they'd see that you've you've got a tumble dryer on your back and people would pretty much always move. Um, but I had to just keep that sort of centre of the road, really. Um, and were you okay yeah. picking up drinks and... No, I I had a bladder in there. I put a bladder inside it. So I had a bladder with a hose coming out, you know, pretty much next to my head. Yeah. Which, which took the which took the weight up to sort of twenty seven kilos. Obviously, once that bladder was full. But um, yeah, you know, I'd rather have the extra weight and have a drink whenever I want one, as opposed yeah. to trying to dart across the road to find a taxi yeah, yeah. through a water station. So um, yeah, you know, all in all, I had a, I had a few bad miles and it, it was pretty brutal. But all in all, it went pretty well. Went off a little bit too fast, um, you know, and, it, and things just went sort of crazy, like uh, the second I finished it, really. And I never, ever expected things to go as, as crazy as they would. In what way? As in just like publicity and stuff, you know, the, um, the next day it was just, you know, was, we had a, the BBC Look East came out and filmed the live piece and um, in Newmarket, you know, down at the, in it's the home of horse racing, obviously, and we was down at the racing centre. And was it an expert uh, about fly tipping? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, that, uh, honestly, David, you cannot say anything. I haven't heard probably five hundred times. <laughs> I've heard every single joke about tumble dryers and let's get ready to tumbles and everything else. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, just like as in the terms of the publicity, it just sort of blew up, and the BBC made then made a film which they put on the internet and, you know, and the guy who made it texted me an hour later and said, you know, it's on, a, it's on half a million views already, this video. And it just, it just went crazy. And, you know, I've done quite a few talk. I've been into a few schools and done assemblies. I've, I've been around to a few local running clubs and done a talk, done talk, you know, and all of this, really the most stupidest thing I've ever done in terms of running. You know, I spent 10 years training for two marathons a year previously you know to try and get under three hours and put in four or five months training to each one to try and knock 10 seconds off mm. gets nothing you know no one's interested in that but all of a sudden you do something <laughs> stupid like run with a tumble dryer in the back and it all sort of blows up and but and that's was that something you kind of positioned yourself to to get out there or was it more that because london's so big they're looking for these types of stories yeah i think so um also the fact that it was i was the first person to ever break this record this record had been around a few years and a few people had tried, but Guinness obviously set a, set a time. Otherwise, you could just, you know, you could be all day. So they set a time of six hours. Yeah. And a few people had tried before and no one had ever got under six hours. So I was the first person to then break that record. And um, I actually got my certificate. Um, they invite, Guinness invited me up and I went up to their head offices in London and done a talk again to their staff. And because it, <laughs> it was a new record, you know, it's just, uh, it's just crazy, really. It's just, just, Amazing, you know, Newmarket race course where we live. They invited me up on one of the biggest days on the uh, 2000 Guineas, and I was their special guest. I was presenting the trophies and stuff, all just because I ran with a, a tumble dry. You know, it's just it just it just went stupid, really. And in, in, my, of... in my opinion, it was it was good and much really appreciated. But it was, you know, like I say, it's also in the same breath. It's like, well, you know, what, what about all the running I've done in the last? <laughs> <laughs> you don't know about. But. 
And and in terms of the donations that because you raised kind of close to ten grand with yeah. that challenge. I mean, where where and when did, was that money coming in, and and was it linked to did being on TV get you X grand, and then going to Newmarket get you X back grand, or was it did it not play out that like that? Yeah, I think, and I mean I may be slightly wrong, but I think on the day of the marathon I was on about three grand, and I I'd set out to raise fifteen hundred. And we we sort of doubled that, you know. So it's brilliant. This is amazing. And I put all over the side of the tumble drive text to donate, mm. text this number. I think it was a fire. People text it, and um, which is a, a well, good tip. Yeah, and of course, as I'm running, pretty much from start to finish, people are saying, "Can I get a picture? Can I get a picture?" And I'm going, "Yeah, get make sure you get the number in, and make sure you donate." You know, and I was sort of getting sick of saying it towards the end, but yeah. it just it just that you know that day, and then the next day, and maybe for about a week, I suppose just kept coming in and coming in and coming in and yeah and it, it topped out about 10 grand it was incredible really incredible and and do you think there's anything that if, if someone's listening at home because we've got quite a few people who are, are doing london for a charity and yeah i think one of the issues they'll face is that they probably want to run it as fast as they can and obviously very few people other than your close friends will pay you to do that um, yeah have you got um well and in fact before we, we get your tips, because, you know, that was impressive. But in terms of charity raising and engaging a community, you know, your next um, your next feat was you know, far surpassed it. Um, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so I presume you're talking about the run for a difference. Yeah. That we've done in December. Yeah, so in late November of last year, a, a young girl from our town was involved in a collision with a bus walking home from school and... As a result of this accident, lost lost her. I think it was her right leg from below the knee. Now I don't I don't know this I don't know this girl. I don't know the family. You know, we're a small town. Newmarket's only a small town. Everyone, everyone knew about it, and you know, but one of the so I run an outdoor fitness class, and one of the mums who comes to the class, her son is in the same school, and I was talking to her at the end of the class, and she said, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we could if we could raise some money somehow for this girl? And have you got any ideas? And I just thought, well. It's like, it takes it takes me about seven minutes to drive home from where the class is to my house, and it, within that seven minutes, I've come up with this idea that I can't, you know, I can't physically offer any uh, financial help, but what I what I do have is access to quite a, you know, to the running community. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to put on an event. I'm going to run 4.1 miles on the hour every hour for 24 hours, and invite people to come along and donate a pound or a hundred pounds to come and run a, a lap, five laps, ten laps, however however many laps they want to do. Mm. So before before I got out, even got out of the van, I text my mate Martin, who's a, you know he's a fellow ultra runner, a marathoner. And I text him and he was like, when? And I was like, next Friday. And he's like, yeah, I'm in. So he was you know he was straight away on board. And then we pretty much had seven days to organise it. Um, we needed a venue, so we went to we went to our local Tesco's and asked them if we could do it from there from their sort of foyer area and they were great. Tesco's were amazing. They said, yep, yeah, we'll supply everything you need. You know, and then we just pumped it out over over social media, as you do, and come up with the idea of sponsoring, having local companies sponsoring the, each individual lap. So it'd be like lap one sponsored by so-and-so, lap two sponsored by so-and-so. And it just, again, just went absolutely crazy. Just um, over the 24 hours, we had... 702 people 
run with us. We had a book there, made everyone sign in for each lap. Um, you know, made everyone. We asked people to sign in how many laps they'd done. We had 702 people run with us over the 24 hours. Um, and we, you know, we aimed, we wanted to raise 10 grand. That was our target. And we and we, we ended up, we raised 23,500, 23, which was just, you know, absolutely incredible. And not at all what either of us thought when we, when we set out to do it. And, and, and why do you think the, that, I mean, obviously the, the, the personal tragedy, tragedy that was involved is, is so um, connected to the community, but do you think it's almost the immediacy, immediacy of, of what you did as well and, and how easy it was for people to get involved? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think a lot, you know, like I said, everybody knew about this, this, you know, this tragic story. And I think people wanted to, to help out in some way, but a lot of people didn't know how to donate or where to donate. And then, you know, you don't, I don't, you know how popular running is at the moment. Everyone yeah. seems to be doing it, um, and all of a sudden, people had a had a reason. You know, and we we said we're going to we're going to start these laps on the hour every hour. Doesn't matter if you can't run four point one miles, come and do a mile with us, and then spin mm. around. You know, if you can only do two miles, great. Do a mile, do a mile, and then spin around. If you want to do more, if you want to run fast, you want to run so. Martin and I were running a, a strict ten minute mile pace, and we was getting back in 42, 43 minutes. Gives us sort of fifteen minutes to sit down, have a drink, change your t-shirt, whatever you need to do. Well, as it turned out, it was pretty much just taking selfies with people. But um, you know, it was it just created a real a real buzz around the town, mm. and the people that turned out. You know, even I think like two o'clock in the morning, we was down to about fourteen people, and then three o'clock in the morning, I think we was about fourteen. That was the quietest it, it had been during the race or the race, the run. And then at four o'clock in the morning, there was about 50 people again. You know, people were coming back out again. You know, some people come. I mean, we had, we had guys who ran over 40 miles of us. You know, some guys, I didn't even know it at the time. I only found out afterwards because there's so many people all the time mm. running laps. You know, some guys, I think five or six people ran, ran a marathon distance. Quite a few guys, a couple of three guys ran over 40 miles of us. It was just... Um, you know, I think the appeal of it was the fact that it wasn't organised. Does that make sense? So, but mm. a lot of people say, "Oh, you're going to do it again next year." But if we did it again next year, I think you'd have to have, I think you'd have to have waivers. I think you'd need to have markers. You had to cross a couple of busy roads. You need to have a marshals. You would need it'd feel to contrived have... as well. It would feel yeah. It would feel this was, in the heart. Look, this was look. We're going for a run on the hour every hour. If you want to join us, come along. Chuck a couple of quid in the bucket. You know, and it was we got away. You know, the last thing we wanted was somebody to get injured whilst we're raising money for someone who's been injured mm. that and that was a bit of a concern but the whole town knew about it and people were stopping to you know all the cars were bibbing us all, on every lap and um the school where the girl goes to they got in touch beforehand and one of the laps martin and i just they, all the kids were out from the school all out the front all day like cheering us on we went in and we ran a few laps of their playground with the kids and uh-huh. stuff it was it was crazy. It was, it, I mean, it, it was tough. It was, it was it was brutally tough. Yeah. Um. But it was it was just it's just immense, really, and still haven't really got. You know, it's quite shocked at how how much money we raised, how much support we had. And it was only what five six weeks ago. It was crazy. And and do you think that because I, I I often am in a similar situation where I'll see something on the news or I feel that there's something. You know, some sadness or tragedy happens in an extended community of mine, and it 
it, it just doesn't feel quite right to just give money or, and even if you do you don't know where to give it to and you you almost feel that you want to but you want to show that you do care and you want to you, you are concerned for these people do you think it's the fact that people could be involved in a small way that, that really made it successful yeah i think so i think well yeah definitely so you know people will come you know, people will come with their kids we had we had um you know quite a few sort of five six-year-olds i suppose were the youngest some of them done a, a four-mile lap um we have a guy in our town called sean who was involved in an accident himself a couple of years ago and he lost he lost both of his the lower part of his legs so he's on blades he came and ran a lap with us you know and it's things like that was just like incredible and um another another friend of mine who, who makes videos and stuff he said that i'll come and film some bits and he he made this little sort of two-minute film and it just really really captured the whole sort of spirit of it and it was just um yeah it was just it was amazing really um you know we didn't really want to there to be a celebration at the end Martin and i because you know there's at the end of the day there's a, there's a reason why we're doing what yeah. we're doing but you know when we finished there must have been three or four hundred people there at the end you know cheers wow. in and i said to him i don't want Tesco's were like, we'll get 10 bottles of champagne. I was like, I don't want champagne. It's not a celebration. Yeah. But, you know, they had champagne there and it was, it was really, it was appreciated. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was just uh, incredible. Crazy, crazy, crazy 24 hours. And, and what do you think? Because um, those are all circumstances that, you know, because if people are trying, in, in the same way, we, we've spoken to Danny Ben, who you obviously know very well as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, his race across America, I think there are elements of that that were very comparable in that Boston bombing happened. It was the immediacy of, I, I want to do something and, and I want to involve people. That I, I think it's the, the simplicity of that, um, that desire that people connect with. But for, for people who are looking to raise or to, to do things themselves, that you can't replicate that. Um, you can replicate community feel, you can try and involve people, but I think it's that immediacy to to tragedy that, that really added the fuel to the fire. But what, what elements would you say and what advice would you give to people who are looking to try and raise themselves that you think they can copy? Well, uh, you know, as you said earlier, it's getting harder and harder, isn't it? Because um, I think if we'd have done ours in maybe January or February, we, we may not have raised the amount of money because, you know, January to April is marathon season and pretty much every person you know who's trying to raise money for a marathon is asking you, you know, mm. I don't know about you, but I have a policy. I will always, always sponsor somebody, but I'll, I will only ever sponsor them once. So any of my friends who are running or racing, you know, I've, I've sponsored every person who's, who's racing, but I'm only going to do it once. And I, you know, I sort of, think that's a fair enough rule because you have to draw a line at it at some point um it's hard it's you know it's it's tough to do but you've got to be persistent with it um you maybe got to try and step outside of the box a little bit and do something a little bit different so that you stand out the, the other you know the other aspect is, is that most people pick a charity that is personal to them mm. um and if it you know sounds a bit callous but if it's a personal reason then i think people will obviously will you know support you a lot more um so, so yeah. do, you, do you think people will support you more if they sense that the charity is personal to the person asking or if they if the, it's more likely that, that charity is personal to the person giving 
I think both are. It depends how you interpret it. I think if you know if, if someone is running for a charity for a cancer charity and you've lost someone close to you for for cancer and that charity has supported you know your your loved one or whatever, then you would happily then you see oh look they're running for cancer research I'm going to happily donate for that. But in the same breath, if it's, if it's your friend who's running because he's lost someone, they've lost someone close to him through through um, cancer, then you would then in the same breath you'd support them, wouldn't you? But it's definitely getting harder and harder for people. Um, I think there's, 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 a, there's a danger, isn't there, of um, choosing a charity uh, on the basis that you think other people will support it without actually having... Because I think like there's some people get worried about running for smaller charities because they thought, oh, people either haven't heard of them or, you know, nothing's going to... You know, cancer research affects so many people that actually, yeah. you know, you, you do it. But actually, if you... I think... A lot of it, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, a lot of it's to do with, with narrative and actually building a narrative around why you're running it and communicating why you're running it and communicating, you know, where where the money's going to go and, and everything around that. And it's, and, and it's kind of around the effectiveness with which you communicate that and how, many, how much people feel that from you, genuinely feel that from you, that they're, they're going to become more likely to, to donate rather than saying I'm running for cancer research or help for heroes or, or yeah. whatever, and then expecting money to roll in. Yeah, of course. That said, you know, and when I ran with the Tumble Jar, I ran for a charity in Newmarket called the Racing Welfare, which supports people in who work in the racing industry. Now, I, I've never worked in the racing industry. I've, I've grown up in a town that is a you know that it's full of people who work in the racing industry and i can mm. see you can see you know with your own eyes the effect that that some of the, what the racing industry has had on some of the people in our town because it's you know it's a pretty for the majority of people who work in racing it's a pretty low-paid job with long hours and it's hard work and it's you know it's a it's a bit of a slog and outside of outside of them working there's not a lot for them to do really than go to the pub and you know a few people have suffered around this way so i chose a charity that although it was local to me it wasn't really personal to me and you know lo and behold we managed to raise 10 grand but i suppose that's comes more down to the tumble dryer effect than anything else so i don't know it's just a it's a fine line isn't it it's do you pick something that's personal to you each charity is going to be personal to somebody isn't it somebody yeah. at some point somewhere yeah, and, and I think actually that's that's one of the issues now is that, you know, when I did my first marathon was 19 and I just chose NSPCC because I thought that's a really good charity, but I didn't really have any connection with it personally. Um, but because I was young and enthusiastic and, you know, knew lots of people, I, I got the sponsorship just from as Dave will give him some money. But yeah, I, I think that's the challenge now with London is that, there's it, actually it'd be really interesting to know what percentage of people who run for charity are, are running to raise money for the charity and they've decided they're going to do the London Marathon versus people who want to do the London Marathon and think right which charity do I want to run for yeah because there's a massive difference between the two yeah. and as you say yeah, one's well, how, many, how many how many people who get in through the ballot then decide they're going to do it for a charity you know? yeah you know, we don't, there's not many people who get in through the ballot these days. It used to, you used to know so many every time, but nowadays it's all. I think it's about one in forty. And um, out of my out of my members, we you know out of eighty members we've got, we had two people in, so it's like almost identical one in forty. 
But how many of those are now going to say, okay, I've got a place, I'm going to run for charity? If it sounds kind of sad, if you don't have to, you you don't need to, you know. But um, it's it's difficult, you know. My people who moan to me and say, oh, I can't run a London Marathon, can't run, just run a good for age time, dedicate the time. I I was lucky enough to run London Marathon ten years back to back because every single year I put the work and the effort into under three hours, so I had my good for age time next year. You know, when it was when it was a cold. February morning at 6am and there's snow on the ground or ice on the ground and I'm out out banging out 20 mile training runs that's when I'm earning my my marathon place and people say oh it's easy for you it's not easy for me you, you, you don't if you want a sub three hour marathon you've got to get out and earn it you've got to put the effort in and I'm not I you know me David I'm not built like a, a marathon runner I'm sort of yeah, the best part, I'm, the best, I'm the best part of 15 stone um, you know most of the guys who are running three hour marathons are the best part of about eight stone, some of them. Yeah. But if, you know, if you want it and you're determined, and I always was, you know, and I, I'd like to get my place back again. I haven't done the marathon. I haven't done London since um, Tumble Dry, which is 2017. And I went back last year to watch it and a couple of guys I was sort of helping out with their coaching. And I went back to watch it and I just thought, oh, I've got to, I've got to do this next year. I've got to get back. But I, ha- I haven't managed to, I haven't, I haven't done any running really. I sort of stopped running about three years ago, so um, trying to get back into it. But but even what you were saying there, you know, and and actually, there's I think there was a school of thought that anyone who doesn't have serious medical issues potential has the potential to run a kind of good for age marathon time. I don't think that's true anymore, just because they are getting lower and you no longer running the time is not enough. You then have to be several minutes beyond it. But yeah. You know, going back to what Jody was saying as well, if you're going for that that good for age marathon time and that's your target, start the narrative on your charity raise now. Because if people you know are knowing that you're training to try and get this good for age, yeah. When you when you don't get it, then you've already started the story to why you're doing this charity place. And yeah even though it's it might not be the charity that's personal to you if, if everyone you know knows your journey that's the personal connection with the charity raise and people are suddenly fair play i'm going to give more money to you because you've been doing this for one year two years three years rather than just someone from the office who's turned up and wants to get a bit of kudos and that's yeah. that's how you create that that story and that engagement from your friends and your wider community i think yeah. And, but, yeah, but also, it's not even necessarily around the charity. I think just starting the narrative about yourself, because people mm. are still sponsoring it because it's you. Mm. And so I think as it, it, that's the thing. I think people wait and hold off and hold off and hold off. And then, you know, go, oh, I'm going to hit them with my charity ask at some point. You know, normally when everyone else in the office hits them with their London Marathon charity ask. And um, But you start it well before that. You tell people that like, your intention a year ahead you know, I'm going to run yeah. the marathon this year. I'm going to try and do this. And you, yeah. you say it's just that, it's just good marketing. It is, but you know, you know as well as I do, people don't sign up for a charity place until October. Once they get their rejection letter, then all of a sudden it's like, right now I've got to find a charity. And you know, even even that's becoming difficult, isn't it, to find an actual charity that will. I think they have. I think the charity. Someone told me the charities actually have ballots as well now to decide who's who's running i don't know that's true but if you want a charity place i'd say nearly every year i'm contacted by charities saying 
we still have some places left and the as as jody said these smaller charities find it hard because from their point of view from their point of view as well they they have to market themselves to to you and if, if they're asking for two thousand pounds then if, if if they don't have enough people with personal connections to them but also if if runners don't think they can raise that two thousand pounds because they don't have a personal connection with it or because the charity is not well known or, or maybe not as as broadly supported you know something like an, an animal trust or yeah. which might be a little which, which might limit the the exposure that um that it has i think that is also difficult and and ultimately if you're if you're waiting until that late then you know that you're you're you know that's your fault you know you should you should go into these things i, I think we almost need to change the narrative about one charity places and about how precious places are for yeah for the for the big city well for it's probably here boston maybe new york um and i think in in three years time berlin will be similar but actually we need to be changing it to like this isn't a six month project if you really want to run these things it's a two three year project and actually you've got to start thinking about your marketing as much as you are your training yeah definitely if you, you know if you if you want to do it then you've got to make it happen i mean as you you were just saying then about you know being a i, I was approached by a charity on saturday someone i know who's run it he said you know do you want that they've got a place come available you've got to raise two grand now this charity means nothing to me so why would i and as desperate as i am to run it again because i'm not really in condition to run it or not to run it fast anyway you know i'm not gonna then ask my friends and family can you sponsor me two thousand pounds of because it is just exactly what it is. Oh, you're paying for me to go and run the London Marathon, basically. So it has to be, you know, yeah. coming to saying about a personal reason, it has to be a personal reason. Yeah, and I've, I've similarly it. had a friend quite a few years ago where they, they dropped out of the half, they couldn't do it. And so I just ran their place on the day and the charity tried to bully me into raising, it's only £200. Right. I just said, I just said no, I'm not, I'm not wasting someone's giving on yeah. what they'll give for me doing this like if they're going to give to me it's going to be 30 50 100 pounds for something epic i'm sorry you know i'm not <laughs> did I'm you not, phrase it like that yeah well it, it, i mean i'm just being honest like, i'm not prepared yeah. for them to waste a, a three to five pound donation because i've run a half yeah exactly. exactly well that goes that goes what you're saying ben like around you know, I, you only sponsor someone once, and so it's almost an encouragement to like. If I'm going to sponsor you once, you decide which what you know what type of race you want me to sponsor you for. Is it going to be for something epic, or do you want me to sponsor you for you know a, a 10k or something? I suppose that's 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 yeah, it. That, it. No, that's 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 you know that's it's all relative, isn't it? Because there's people and there's mem- I've got some of my members, you know, and they're training. So this Cambridge Half Marathon is coming up in four or five weeks, I think it is. And out of my members, I've been telling them all when the when it when the entry's opened in November, I, I've been telling them for the two months beforehand, there's no reason why every single one of you cannot train for and you know and run and complete the Cambridge Half Marathon, which is, you know, next March. And I managed to get I think we've got over forty of them signed up for the race, with about thirty six, thirty seven being never done a race before whatsoever. So, you know, for them now, you know, and this is a big thing for them, you know, this is a huge thing. I'm, I'm getting a lot of messages and a lot of, uh, 
you know, a lot of doubts are creeping in about this. <laughs> they're, they're non-runners, you know, and yeah. they're, they're doing a half. So some of these guys are doing this for charity. And this is, you know, and this is, it's relative because this is a big thing for them. But for me to turn around and say, right, I'm doing the Cambridge Half Marathon. Who wants to sponsor me? Then I'm pretty, pretty sure the majority of my friends and, and <laughs> you would just say, right, yeah, okay, maybe next time. So, yeah, I just think you become, you know, from when we done the run for a difference and the run for a difference was what the name that we came up with for the, when we ran for the, to raise money for this, for this um, girl in Newmarket, when we done the run for a difference, you know, that was, it was a, it was a different thing, wasn't it? It's, it's just a 24 hour run. So it's, it's a bit different and people, you know, people, people paid up. People and, put, and maybe people have to think about creating yeah challenge that is going to capture people's imagination to raise the money yeah. to run london yeah definitely definitely um and so where where does that leave you now where in terms of we're all drawn well, towards things that um that excite us and you've 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 done all these challenges that are really hard and really long and take loads of prep but now you've just thought next week we're going to do this, and that's been the one that's that's absolutely smashed it. So, are you are you kind of drawn to those types of things in the future, or? Yeah, I to pretty much I stopped running. I sort of run. I've done two marathons a year. I'd always do London, and I'd always do somewhere else in sort of October, November. You know, I'd always always trying to get under three hours. That was the target. And I'd sort of done that for about 12, 13 years. Then my wife, you know, we had children. We had two young kids, and. So after I'd done a 100-mile race, 2016, I'd done the South Downs Way 100, and I sort of forced myself, I didn't think it, I said it out loud, you know, this is it, I'm, I'm done with running. I'd got my marathon PB that year, and I, I was happy with my marathon PB, and I thought, I'm going to finish, I want to do a 100-miler, and that's it, I'm going to be done with running. So that was, you know, I'd done the 100-miler, and that is it, right, I'm done, I'm walking away. And I then got into rowing and sort of, into indoor rowing more specifically and spent a lot of time doing a lot of indoor rowing and done you know i had a, had a crack at the 24-hour record and i've just missed out on that and um i don't know i just i just kept getting drawn back to running if that makes sense mm. and like my sort of body shape had changed because you know when i'm a runner i'm trying to be as light as i can yeah. when i'm a rower mass moves mass and i need to put some what put some some bulk on so what, what do you think draws you back to it versus other things um don't know really it's just i just i just love it i never wanted to lose that ability to be able to go out and run 10k because i've had a bad day at work no you know and I, and I never did i've always sort of kept my kept my kept my foot in a little bit um but i never you know after i stopped running and racing i i didn't run with a garmin really well i did but i didn't really study the, the stats too much it was more it was more nine ten minute miles than seven six seven minute miles just running with friends and stuff and you know i don't never want to lose that ability to be able to go out and run for an hour so i'd always sort of kept i'd done a little bit but i didn't race at all and then the rowing thing sort of come to an end and then you know ended up um we've done this run for a difference and i pretty much done that on no specific running training so i'm i think the next race i'm going to do is a 24 hour not 24 hour um backyard ultra style thing in which is not far from where i live in june mm. um same format as what we did but you know obviously it goes on beyond 24 hours 4.1 miles on the hour every hour that's in june 
I think I'm going to do it. I actually, I've done a race last weekend, um, Pedder's Way Ultra, but didn't, you know, didn't really race it, just sort of took it easy and quite enjoyed it really. It was 48 miles, took us nine hours and just had a, had a nice sort of day out running up to the coast. But um, yeah, I don't know really. And, you know, people always say, oh, what's next? What's next? I don't know. You know, I hadn't planned to do, I hadn't planned to do the, the, uh, the run for a difference is only because the situation came about um in the summer i was out running and i broke my foot i missed the pothole and i broke my foot snapped my fifth metatarsal so i couldn't run and i have a ski machine in my little gym i have so you know i tried to row i couldn't row too much flexion in my foot too painful tried to swim couldn't swim it's too painful my foot was moving too much going to use a ski ogre. got it there I hardly ever use it it's just the beast of my clients on I'm going to use that and I could use it without having too much pain in my foot so two weeks after I'd started using it I thought I'm going to have a go at the uh, 24 hour world record which I got um, <laughs> wow. I actually got I actually done a 20 I actually got two well 25 hour record because the longest continuous ski ogre was 24 hours so I'd done the extra hour to, to get that record as well but that was the same again if I hadn't have broken my foot two weeks beforehand then i would never have done it you know so it's not like i'm going right ski erg next no it's not you know it's, it it sort of comes to me if that makes sense i don't really look for these things they sort of present themselves mm. yeah and i think actually in some ways having a bit of time off where you can reflect and if you just charge into the next challenge it's probably uh, going to be too similar to the one you've done to actually be that fulfilling um yeah Exactly. I've, I've always, always also held this um, sort of crazy idea. I'd love to do 31 marathons in 31 days in December. You know, so you do one a day in December. Um, <laughs> so when, I, when, I, when I broke my foot in July of last year, that was really what I was setting out to do. You know, yeah. I was like, right, that, I'm going to start, I'm going to do it this year. And I started running again in increasing the miles. And of course, once I snapped my foot, I couldn't, I wasn't that, you know, straight away. Well, that's, that's that gone out the window. So sort of part of me thinks maybe, you know, 11 months time I'll, I'll, I might get to do that. But I don't know, really. It's hard. Um, funny enough, Guinness actually contacted me about it and said, oh, we've got this record here that's, that no one's taken. And it's the fastest 31 marathons in 31 days. And I looked into it, you know, and the fastest could, average time. Fast average time, yeah. And I looked into it and I thought, you know, I could I found sort of like twelve or thirteen official marathons that are on within mm. a maybe a hundred mile radius of where I live throughout December and the rest of them I'd make up over courses and have someone with me. But when I went back to them with this, they said, Oh no, it, there has to be an official marathon. Is there even thirty one official marathons on in December? I'm sure there is, you know, is there one on every day? Probably yeah. somewhere in the world, but it's you know, that then turns into a logistical and expensive <laughs> night, expensive nightmare so and actually that. if you're trying to adhere to the um the guinness standards for, yeah i can uh, sort of understand it but you know it's going to be difficult for anybody unless you've got a lot of free time and a lot of spare money yeah. to be able to just jet off wherever you want to go and um and do it so yeah i might just do it I might just do it locally around here just just with something to do really and um and then so, so if people want to track your future challenges uh, kind of get in touch reach out to you uh, what's the best way for them to do that um i suppose via you know the usual social media out of someone instagram my my uh instagram is bomber 26.2 
and yeah, as Ben blows on on Facebook. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on and telling about your epic challenges, but also, you know, thanks for doing so much good in your community and also raising you know, money for, for worthy charities. So, An insane amount of money, that. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. It's been crazy. And, yes. um, do you remember, David, when you was, I'm sure you've probably talked about this before, but you was in um, Witherspoons one night. Yeah. And you was like, you put your table number out, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. And I sent you some drinks out. I can't remember what I sent you. Something probably really horrible. Yeah, but how did that how did that end for you badly? It, um, I mean, it ended gloriously in many ways, but um, I think we've got we've still got all the videos of it because because uh, Miller was there as well, wasn't she? Mene and yeah, yeah. I mean, we we finished all the drinks. That was probably probably our equivalent to your twenty four hour, except we condensed it to like four hours. But drink for uh, a difference. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a challenge that someone could do. At, a, um, a spoon's table for 24 hours I mean that would be impressive <laughs> yeah five pints on the hour every hour yeah yeah 100% yeah perfect no. well thank you so much for coming on and, no problem at all it's great to great to, to, to speak to you both yeah let us know when, when you've got your next challenge in mind and we can we can set the do badders in your direction to uh, to kind of follow you and hopefully donate as well lovely thanks so much thanks David thanks Jody thanks, See you, Ah, oh, yeah, nice, right? Yeah, yeah, that is an insane amount of money to raise. Well, I, th- I think especially for being sat, you know, sat down and a week later you've raised, what was it again, 15 grand, 25 grand? Or well, it's t- t- 10 grand for the... 10 grand for the, for the, yeah. But for the, 20, 25 for the, for, for the other one. Um, yeah. which is grand just in a weekend. That's insanely good. And if you think about our listeners as well, you know, there's there's a lot of listeners who who I know are, are ultra runners who are trying to get in London and sort of raising money. And actually, they're always they're already doing these unbelievably epic challenges of their own accord. Yeah. And and the hard thing is is, is communicating that to, to people to donate. So why not instead of doing your next epic run, flip it and create something to engage the community with the run, as opposed to trying to bring the community to your run, bring the run to your community. And I think that's the way, if you really want to to raise money for charity, you know, for, mar- for the marathon place, or just because you want to do it because it's a great thing to do, you know, it's, we should all be doing it. Um, that's the way to do it. Build the challenge into your community so that that's what people to res- respond to, that personal connection, yeah. seeing you actually out there and being able to join you. And I think the whole thing is people want to see you uh, go on some kind of people want to see you struggle. If we're honest, they don't. Mm. You know, they, they like seeing you at the end and everything like that. But if they can see all the struggle that's gone into it and the fact that, you know, you might have been getting up at ridiculous o'clock and things like that. And, and I think what people what happens is people get very despondent because they maybe haven't raised as much as they want by the time they get to the um, to the start line. And actually, you, you know you, you if you carry on the narrative through that after you've achieved it when the full story's there that's mm. when that's the time to to actually try and sort of cash in that sponsorship and actually really keep pushing on with the with 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 telling people what you've done and what you've achieved and how much you've raised so far and why you've done it and, and everything else because it works just like a normal story arc you know when you think about you know rocky didn't just before 
<笑>いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、
that is the funny <laughs> thing. The, absolutely. That is, that is when thing. you tell people the story. That is when you're miserable and you get people, you run, you get your friend filming you run past the local pub or the local McDonald's getting abuse from teenagers. That is when people pay you money. Absolutely. That is it. And, and and you can even build stuff into that. You can like you can even turn that and you go, where shall I run next dressed as the <laughs> dressed as this as part of my training? Route, dressed yeah. <laughs> McDonald's, right? but, but you know, and that's it. And you can you know and, 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 like the way that some people were coming up with um with stuff to raise money, uh, I think it was like on the MDS and stuff, like paying for money for to wear certain tracks. Um, you know, and you can just there's so many things you can build into it that it's just it's just about thinking about it a lot further out rather than thinking, all right, last minute I've been rejected from London Marathon, bang, I'm going to run for a charity, I'm going to start fundraising just after Christmas because I can't be asked to do it beforehand. Yeah, and 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 even if there's the thing, I, Eric, who I've mentioned in the early days of um, of the hash episode, I think was Sweetheart who was this legendary um, runner with City Hash. And actually, he's known throughout the world because he's just such a curveball. He got a last-minute place where... And Eric is Eric has got a beer belly the size of a bowling ball. Yeah. But he, he got a last-minute charity place. So he's like, right, I've got to raise this much money today. <laughs> so <laughs> he just got a big bucket. And at every pub... He went in and went, all right, everyone, I'm running the marathon. Give us a beer, give us your money. And people were giving beers thinking, yeah, sure, mate, you're not going to drink that beer. You drink the whole beer and then they give another and you drink that and then they give the money. And he had to hand in his bucket halfway around because it was so full. Oh, really? And I know people want to to do London because they want to run it fast or they want to. But actually, we need this reality check. And if you're going to raise money for London, you might have to sacrifice that. And therefore, why are you actually doing London, really? You should run a fast marathon elsewhere. London's for the experience. So make it a full experience. Yeah. But what I liked, actually, that he mentioned is um, he talked about his giving rules. We've not talked about this before. He'll give to anyone, but he'll only give once. That's good. I, I like that. I like that. I like having a policy. Yeah. Like, do you have like do batters? Do you have a policy? I mean, do you have a policy, JD? Uh, I I don't think so. I tend to give to people who, who I don't. I, I do tend to give to people. Like, I don't know if I give to them more than once or not. Again, it depends. It depends on how much it means to them. Like, mm. and how much they not necessarily how much they talk about it, but how much it genuinely means to them to be given like people that just post stuff because i've given to some people more than more than once before um and i suppose there's probably an element of it about you know because it, and it's not just me going oh you know that's epic and that's not because i have given people yeah. to people that have done you know like nothing um like i know, mean when you big, 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 for example <laughs> anyway anyway <laughs> but um yeah I, I, that's the thing i think um do you? Do, you? do you have a policy? No, I, I'm trying to think if I do have any. And we, because we all probably have these subconscious rules that we are constantly weighing up. But I mean, I need to know the person as a general rule. So if, if someone just, I, I will sponsor some people if they've done something I truly like, impressed by. And as you say, it, it's not scale. That it's, I'll never, I'll never sponsor someone for OCR ever. 
<laughs> that's one. That's a, that's one policy. Never. <laughs> I like that. I'm gonna find the most worthy. Right, do bad. Like someone like Deagle Shakespeare will know of some incredible thing that someone's done. What is the most worthy OCR challenge that someone's done? But yeah, that's the thing. It, I, I would, I do, I have given. I'll never, I'll never sponsor someone to go on a fucking holiday. That's another <laughs> thing as well. You know, we go. Oh, I'm going to go for a walk up the Andes and something, and you, I've got to raise four grand. You're like, oh, that sounds like a holiday to me. That doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like a, a fundraising thing. That sounds very much like a holiday. But I, that's the, if, if if a friend asks me, and by that I mean like sends me an email, then I'll always do it or WhatsApps me specifically. If I see some on Facebook, I'll often forget or wane. But yeah. I, having said that, I have given two pounds before to people just because I'm, I've been skinned. And actually even the mood that I am that day and even how many times I've given that week, bizarrely, it doesn't change my total um, money in the world if, I give, if, if I've given three people a year in one week or you know, well, 50 people a year in one week or 50 people a year spread out. But if it's the third person that week, suddenly you're like, oh, geez, whoa. this and yeah, I've given two two pounds to some people because I've just thought, yeah, you don't really need it, you don't really want it, and you've not really done much for it. And the thing is, when you have when you have children, it's different as well because yeah. um, for some reason, uh, your kids can raise a hell of a lot more money a lot quicker for doing a whole lot less. So, <laughs> yeah. Like we went on the, we did a. Um, it was just a walk between two peers, but it was for a uh, charity. A, a little girl had, um, she she needed treatment or something. And Frida said that she wanted to go and join this walk. And it was just a walk between like the West Pier and, um, and the Palace Pier in Brighton. And uh, and it was well, like, it's a kilometre or something like that. And, uh, you know, like, do, do we just put out the thing? She raised about 350 quid in the space of about 24 hours for this. She's like, what? Hey, like someone sponsored her 100 quid. You're like, what? What? Like, and so that's the thing. All of a sudden, like, you're overruled uh, when you've so got... Are you got saying children. we need to exploit children? <laughs> yeah, if you've got children and they haven't raised any money, bring them into the challenge. <laughs> Get them to run the marathon with you. <laughs> yeah. Put them in a tumble drive. Just make it out. Just turn it... Turn. People do... Oh, have you noticed, like, there's a lot more stories? This is not entirely charity-related, but there's a lot more stories about kids starting up businesses, like, oh, this eight-year-old's got this business in the in their, in their bedroom and, you know, it's all got all... It, it's raised a million dollars and stuff like that. And then you find out yeah, that's not the whole story, that the actual business is being run by the parent, uh, but they've used the kid as basically the PR stick to do it. That's another way I think you could get this to work. Well, there was this... Can I can I say this? I'm trying, we might have said it at the time. We I met I met a family who were lovely actually, but oh, this is we're lovely actually. Not lovely actually, because like the way I'm saying this is almost cynical, and they they were just lovely, but they were raising money for the son who had had some, some terribly tragic um, illness, and it was by running with one of the children, and running with the brother. And they'd got some unbelievable celebrities doing it because the whole premise was run with me, then you nominate the next person to run with me. And because everyone wanted to almost show off, well, I know I'm I'm a celebrity, but I know this celebrity. And you then are also relying on the, the contacts, the phone book and the social pressure of two celebrities that know each other. And it was getting to this extent where um, 
I can't remember enough about the owners to know whether the kid the kid was saved or he'd recovered or you know whether it. But it was every weekend they were all now doing this run with, and the younger son I could see just didn't just didn't really care about it. It was it was no longer he he wasn't really involved. It it become this life of its own where it was so rewarding in other ways to to everyone involved the you know, the celebrity angle and the exposure and the the excitement that it and and it was still raising loads of money but it almost felt wrong because it it just seemed to be for the wrong reasons right even though, even though all the things all the all the positivity was still coming out of it the skeptic in me was a bit just the whole thing was tainted that makes sense. That, that, yeah. Is that because you were never asked? No celeb <laughs> ever. <laughs> no celeb ever picked you. That's true. It was like the ice bucket challenge. Yeah, this ice bucket challenge is a load of shit. And then until someone nominates you, oh yeah, I've got, I've got ice on my head. <laughs> you even got, it was, it was, it was the, the time that Mike Bishop did it for the second time. <laughs> they still hadn't asked me. That was when I was like, come on. Yeah, but um, do, do you us, what are your rules? Do you have any hard and fast rules? Do you have you met people who've given you an answer? Because let me one, I'm not gonna. I've whenever I do um, the beer lovers marathon or Medoc trips, I always ask for twenty pounds from everyone who has been in my group that I've organised for. As a, um, I ask them for a not mandatory, but they they can donate twenty pounds extra, and that goes straight to cheap street child. And there's been someone who's always said, "Oh no, street, I... child, street child is uh, is the French word for booze fund in it is, uh, it is. in Belgium." Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but the, there's always been someone who, who's not given and said, "Why well, I, I give to other charities?" And I, well, I'm I'm not asking you to donate in general. I'm saying this is the charity that I you're you're I, I'm asking you to say. We we thank you for the work you've done. We recognise you've done a lot of work for us, and to say thank you for that, we're going to donate to your <laughs> charity. And it really annoys me that they go, "Oh no, I donate to other <laughs> charities." And like, well, sure, but that's like that's like saying to a waiter, "Oh no, I, I tip other waiters." <laughs> I, I do said, I do say that I do say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tip better waiters than you <laughs> that are closer to my heart. Yeah, you all look a bit too middle class to me. I, t- I tend to tip waiters that look poorer than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tip, waiters, I tip waiters that I think I've got more of a chance of sleeping with than you. <laughs> well, no. That looks sinister. Uh, I, I like that. I like that because you go to all the effort of organising that and then some arsehole comes up and goes, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even going to acknowledge the effort you put in by donating to a charity. It's not as if you're personally <laughs> taking it. That the the amount of contempt they have for you is like not even, you've gone to all this effort to organise my accommodation to tell me what train to get on to organise the pasta party to make sure that I've got a race number and to organise all the logistics <laughs> to go around it and still I even give to the charity that you have designated. I'm they, that they much were of an asshole. Choking a street child <laughs> to be the eye to tell me that yeah yeah. <laughs> anyway, just had anyway. any child on the street and choke them yeah yeah but, but do that well thanks for listening to this one and um if you enjoyed this one other good episodes to listen to i mean right back at the beginning jody and i talked about raising for charity the sound quality will be horrific but if you haven't listened to an early episode it's probably quite short and will just be quite an insight into how it began um i'm trying i've been trying to get 
I thought it'd be easy, actually. I've been trying to get someone who is ahead of fundraising for one of the biggest charities. Yeah, but all their, fundraising, all their fundraising methods are dodgy, aren't they? So I can understand why they don't ever want to come on. Yeah, well, I've just not been able to track them down. I've had some friends who work at charities. That's always downstairs. good, isn't it? You can't find the person in charge of fundraising. Yeah, isn't that strange? Well, <laughs> and so if you know someone, and, and, and actually, I'd, I'd like it to be... Uh, you know, I, I was a thinking, worthy I just, charity. A good no, charity. not even worthy. Just, just something so big that I want someone who's a real expert in this. Not, you know, or else I'd have just asked Street Child to say, "Can you, can you come on?" But I want someone. This faint phrase. And, and I, I want an expert. Not, Otherwise, I'd have just asked Street Child. To come on. And that's not an insult to, to Street Child. It's, it's. I'd like someone who is working for a charity that is so big that they oversee the strategies of fundraising across multiple, multiple events and multiple um, yeah. countries. Because that's what that's what I'd really like the insight for, is the trends, the changes. It's, and- the, corporate, it's the corporate side of it as well, isn't it? Because a lot of people don't know how, unless you, you know, you have an insight like, you know, people like uh, Sean Conway uh, and, and guys who are uh, plugged into that corporate fundraising element. How do you know, how do you even get started with that? How does that even work? How do you even prepare, like create a package of, uh, you know, of, of what you're doing in order to present to, to corporates? That, yeah. that would be interesting. That would be absolutely. And, and also, I almost want that company so big so that they have internal at- analytics where they can actually, rather than just having someone who says, this is nice, this works, be able to say, actually, if you do, if you follow this strategy, you'll probably get 30% more giving from your friends or if you, um, and actually that's something Jody and I went into our strategy of the order in which we asked our friends to um, give. I asked my richest friends first because I thought the more big donations on there, then everyone will feel that they've got to push up, even choosing which donation as your default, because now you're often given the choice of three options. That, there's a huge amount of psychology into that. So I'd love to get someone on who understands all the different psychologies and and knows it from a science analytical based um, background. So if you know someone, let us know. Other episodes, what other ones have we done that that link in nicely with this, should you say, Jay? Can you think of Uh, any? I don't know. I can't think of anything. We've we've talked to charities before, but we haven't really talked about um, the sort of the business of fundraising as much. in, in a lot of them, uh, we, you know, I, I suppose we, actually the Sean Conway one, he was talking about fundraising and the difficulty of fundraising um, and how and he, sometimes and even Rob Pope, it, Rob Pope, when he yeah. was running four and a half times across America, struggled to raise money because because um, of how he, the lack of time to communicate to do with the fact that it was a charity person to him and not necessarily to others. That's a really interesting one, one as well. Um, but yeah, let us know. We, we're actually, I'm, I'm sat here at the beginning of Feb. We've actually got February and March completely booked out for guests. And we've got um, kind of three people who I think we're going to interview outside of that. So um, do let us know a future guest, but be aware it's probably going to be some time before we get them on just because post-run show, everyone wants to go on. And also I had a bit of a blitz and um, because of the 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 increased stature of the podcast people are saying yes quicker um but uh do let us know ta- either message you directly get <laughs> you mean they're, dele- they're not deleting your emails they're deleting your emails slower 
yeah exactly yeah yeah i, I have to do less uh like, like i only have to send eight begging emails now rather than 20 i only need to follow them on two social networks as opposed to all six social networks and follow up, I don't and have phone to up, up house and anymore. Yeah, exactly it's becoming easier yeah 100 percent. but i mean tying into that if you haven't left us a review on itunes please do um we've had some very funny ones recently going on go on and look at them actually if you just want to giggle there's some really good ones but that is probably the main way in which our credibility is, is it, it, people judges on externally so please leave us a five-star <laughs> review if, you know if you don't, haven't got the time to write anything just just click the five star um and uh yeah do subscribe and we'll be back next week <laughs> i love the way that you forgot the the uh, frequency with which we will be back yeah. um oh yeah yeah we do this every week it's been a long weekend. We'll explain it in the intro why I'm tired. Although we probably won't because we'll record this and the intro another day. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's, something, there's something not to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, that's just it, guys. I will speak to you soon. See you later. Bye 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 And give me one more try Cause a love like this Should I never ever die Come back Fuck you buddy